that I made a mistake last week. What mistake did you make? It's not Irene Dunn, it's Rosalind Russell. In the movie with Cary Grant. So? Two of our listeners were sad. <laughs> One she's related to. Two I'm related to. Two. <laughs> my mother and my husband. <laughs> This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics bore you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to My Racist Friend. This is a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. As usual, you're joined by me, Don Griffin, Jr., and... I'm Amy McKees. What are we talking about today, Amy? Well, Don, first, as I think is going to be usual, <laughs> I, I have love to... how professional we are. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to continue our conversation about self-care because I got a really interesting listener question. Okay. Okay. This listener said, self-care as a concept presents itself differently among groups. That's interesting. From the white point of view, self-care in the way you brought it up is something that I'm familiar with as a white person, but I see it differently as a gay person. I wonder about that as well. And she said, I can only answer as a gay person, self-care as a person in the majority feels different than self-care feels to a minority person. As a gay person, self-care for me is living out loud. The alternative is literally death. As a white person, self-care feels more like taking time for myself, like baths, etc. That's nice, but fundamentally different. Okay. And she had opened by mentioning that last week when we talked about it, um, we had brought up self-care, and I had said something about the level of fear not being sustainable. Like your body isn't made to stay in a stress response for such an extended period of time as this. And you responded, I can almost see that you're wanting to respond that way. No, now. I want to hear it. Go ahead. Okay. What, what... You responded by saying, I can't be afraid. I don't have time or room, or I'm not sure exactly how you phrased it, but it's a conversation that we've had more than just then. Cause it felt very familiar to me. But you know what? Yes, like you, you don't have, as, as a person of color or a person that's marginalized, your life is your life, right? And some of us can sit there and say it doesn't affect us. However, it actually does. We're finding that there's been, been lots of research done on how mental health issues, especially for yep. African-American boys... Yep. Yeah. at a very early age and it would show up as a as, as PTSD for a regular child. Yes, I I you found know? that exact thing when I was looking it up today. And and when I think about the things that I that maybe I'm lucky enough that I repressed to keep going forward. And and and, and I've actually found that I've I repress a lot of things. Things that happen to me on a constant basis I have repress them to move on mm -hmm. and, and that's that and, works yeah for I, you. I, it does but it doesn't really work for me it comes back it does come back it does affect me 
mm-hmm. in ways that that maybe I can't unpackage. Like there's so much to unpack mm-hmm. yeah. within Don Griffin that I couldn't even begin to start. Right, because last week we talked about um, controlling images, and there's another another concept in RCT of relational images, and these are ideas that you form at a really early age in life. But when you're talking about all the Don Griffin to unpack, Mm -hmm. there's truths that are images about relationships that you carry with you that you don't even know you're carrying. Like the reason that some people tend to get in the same bad relationship again and again and again, even with different people, Mm -hmm. they've got these relational images that tell them this is what a helpful person is, or this is what's dangerous, or this is how you can get affection. And they do that without seeing it because your brain has access to this unconscious part, but your brain has access to it much, much faster, like a ridiculous amount faster than it does to rational thought. Hmm. And you've got access to rational thought for sure that's fast, right? You can be like, no, I'm not going to punch that person even though I want to. Mm-hmm but you've already felt the urge to punch that person. Wow, okay. And that's the speed that I'm talking about with the relational images. And being constantly under threat from discrimination or from racism or from being like the only you mm-hmm. in the crowd and is a toll. Yeah, and trying to, also trying to just blend in. Sometimes you, as a person that is different, you want self-care means can i blend in i mean mm-hmm. you don't want to blend in but self-care is just being accepted for who you are maybe that's not boy that's not even possible in in, in our society right now there that's not even possible to 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 just be you know to just be say just, more just about be, that to just be yourself there's always this it's not baggage because you want to i, I mean i love being black but I, I, I know that I'm di- walking into a room. I know that I'm different. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it would be nice just to, for people to, to know and accept that I'm black, but just, I don't know. Well, I imagine there are places in your life where you go and you're around primarily black people. Are there? Uh, uh, yes, I think the, you know, um, so you got to remember, I grew up in Bloomington. Right. I grew up in Bloomington. So, you know, Sunday, I would go to an African-American church growing mm-hmm. up. My parents would try to get to, to uh, take us to Indianapolis every weekend or every other weekend to hang out with our family there and cousins. I had cousins there, but it mm-hmm. was just the place that I was visiting. I and I was different. I was looked at as You were different, different there, too. You didn't have a place there where you were different. Too. There, yeah. It was always like... Look at my cousin here. This look at this cousin. He talks funny, but he's okay. You know, like <laughs> these are our country cousins. These are, our, you know, it was it was a strange thing. We we were different there, and also uh, growing up in the seventies as children here in Bloomington, Indiana, in the eighties, you you were I was, you know, different here too. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. It was uh, the only time that I was constantly. Cosby, there, there, you have the Cosby Show, and the Cosby Show, it's okay to go. It's I want to I want to say it right now. 
it really was a good show. So it's if you can if you can <laughs> take out uh, all the things that Cosby did. Uh, yeah, I mean, go back. There's some interesting stuff there. So anyway, he went to Hillman. Hillman and his wife went to this place called Hillman, mm-hmm. which is a historically African American school mm-hmm. based off of a school called Hampton, mm-hmm. which is in Hampton, Virginia, and. It's a it's an incredible school. There there are a few African American schools called Black Ivy League because uh, 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 traditionally it's where um, uh, a lot of uh, black scholars, African American scholars, went to school. Howard, Hampton, Morehouse, Spelman, North Carolina A and T, Tuskegee. I'm sure even white folks know. Right, of they these can schools. learn more too by googling the <laughs> oh, "Tell them we will rise" documentary. <laughs> oh, is that right? It's really good. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. But the Cosby Show helped introduce this concept to a lot of people. I went to Hampton University, fell in love with it. Ninety percent African American, but what was amazing is the diversity there that's the first time i could actually be myself yeah in the sense that i didn't have to change the way i talked because there were african-american folks who were that talked way countryer than i was we we had african-american rednecks we had african-american skateboarders and surfers from california and hippies and it, it was cr- and, and very conservative people we had a there's a yacht club there it's crazy i mean there, I, to be clear i would laugh at any yacht club oh so it was, just... there, there's a helicopter pad for parents to come on in it, it was a it's an interesting school they were literally helicopter parents. there was a heli oh literally <laughs> helicopter parents yeah i think one one year i had a roommate whose dad was an ambassador and his mom was a um a diplomat. It was just off the charts. He was a diplomat, son. It was crazy. I realized how diverse African Americans could be. There wasn't a certain way, you know, when I went to Indianapolis and hung out with my cousins and their friends there, they'd say, this guy talks funny. He dresses funny. They'd make fun of me. It was different. Aww. You know, they'd make fun of me. Yet, uh, And then you come here and, you know... It, it, there was an idea here in Bloomington. It was an idea of, do you remember our friend Rob? Yeah. Yeah. I remember him giving me the bottom of a shoe. I remember as this. a as a uh, as a uh, what was it? It was a, it was like a uh, because you didn't have soul because I didn't have soul because I couldn't dance. <laughs> he gave you the soul of his shoe. Yeah, it was. It's pretty nasty. Um, but it was funny. But. It's not like I didn't get that a lot because I wasn't your... It's like a black man that can't dance. Like, can you believe this, you know? Mm-hmm. We Somebody did a map uh, at, after the 2016 election okay. of the votes in Bloomington and the surrounding area and you color-coded it blue and red. And it was it was really interesting how... Because you could see, like, the bubble. It's all in the blue middle. in the middle and everything else is red. Yes, and then you could see parts that were... Pr- like bright red that were right up against the bubble. I, I and know. And when people saw that, they were like, what? That exists? I didn't know that existed. And yeah. I, I think that you can be on the other side of the bubble and not be able to see through it or to the 
Right. <clears throat> and maybe that's the, that's the difference. Maybe maybe it's because I'm one of the few African Americans that have actually lived and grew up in the red part of the bubble. Yeah, you did. And so these are things that I had to uh, deal with. I always lived on the west side of town. Now, racism's everywhere, so I don't want to even get into... Uh, uh, we know that now because we've got Nazis in the middle of our town. Right? Right. Let's be honest. I mean, and they've, yeah. been, and, they, and they've got friends that no one's talking about. Let's be honest. Yeah. I was in a school on the... As a, as a first grader, mm-hmm. I was at Grandview Elementary School. Mm-hmm. And one of probably five African-Americans in the whole school, maybe less. And on recess, they would play KKK and chase me with belts on recess. It was also happening in the classroom. They were beating me up and chasing me in the classroom because the teacher wasn't there i don't know where she was i don't older teacher they would have me stay in the principal's office during recess and that's that's how i that's how i uh i I lived what kind of saved me is the the fact that the teacher said you know i can't really teach this this kid and so my parents got me uh had me do all this testing and to see you know if i was just not a a bright kid or whatever i ended up being okay i guess i'm i wasn't stupid apparently and so they they realized it was the teacher my parents were young too they realized it was Mm -hmm. the teacher's fault because she basically she actually told my parents you know this is the first black kid i've ever had in 40 years and i just oh my god and i just don't know how to teach them i just don't know how to teach them that's horrific yeah like that entire story is full of yeah trauma and i don't i don't have words that are appropriate i'm, for I'm sorry no I don't, don't apologize i've heard this story even, before i don't even I know, know why it. we were why we're going here i don't i think we were talking about me living i mean because i lived on that side i still continued to live on that side of town uh but i trans i, I would i would my parents would drive me over to university so we right. could, they got me out of the school district Mm-hmm. But I still lived amongst the same kids. Did, were know. they mean to you at home? Oh, Not yeah. Not your parents, uh, I mean the yeah, kids. Uh, yeah, there was an incident where 12 to 15 kids, we were on the playground. And um, we were on the playground, and I was playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know playing basketball I was by myself or with a friend at first and and then this this group of older kids was like hey we want to play a full full court and I'm like well but you know I'm I'm playing here mm-hmm. you know what do you you know I, I think I was eight mm-hmm. and I said you know I'm I'm playing here and so you guys can't you just use the half court no we want the we want the full court me i do not get i do i don't back down i'm like look (laughs) i was here first i'm playing basketball just do your thing you get over there Mm -hmm. they said well i tell you what we're gonna play a game and 
and you know you can be you can be part of the game everybody's here but well I'll play a game you know and you can be part of the game so they go ahead and pick teams the fuckers didn't pick me at all oh. so I'm like oh well this is BS I'm gonna just when you're on that side I'm gonna be shooting the they didn't like that mm-hmm and so they started pushing me I pushed them back they got in this circle and some of them were teens I was mm -hmm. eight mm -hmm. brothers just there, there was a uh, one kid that they said okay we're gonna have you fight this guy but every time you hit him we're all gonna hit you back and so there's a circle of guys and this kid is hitting me and so I'm hitting him back there's look it's an apartment complex it's it's uh Park Square Apartments which is Orchard Glen now and my dad they, they hated me anyway they called me Little Piglet because my dad was one of the only African-American police officers at the time he's one of two one of, so he's the second African-American police officer ever in the city in of Bloomington, Bloomington. Mm -hmm. they, the kids they they didn't like me anyway because I'm black and I'm the policeman's kid yeah and so they're hitting me this in a circle and it got to the point where there's some kid is on my neck he's sitting on my neck so I got the shit beat out of me by a group of kids and what I was saying is it was funny that no one called to help no one no the, you had you had adults in these townhouses that could have that easily saw what was going on so I go home bloodied and I mean I, I'm actually probably glossing over how bad it it, it, mm -hmm. it really was and I remember going to each of those boys my dad in his because there was a few that were old enough that they could have they they should have gone to juvie or jail mm -hmm. or but mm -hmm. i remember going into these some of these kids houses and my dad was uh you know he'd found christ and everything so I th he prayed with some of these people and they apologized to me and a little kid actually ended up in middle school he ended up being one of my friends later huh. on in life. Yeah, the little kid was actually my own age. That's how. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how messed up it was. And what you're saying about about PTSD before that is, you know, they constantly evolving and learning about the brain. But one of the things that that happens is is there's a more complicated PTSD that comes from just repeated. Uh, trauma repeated trauma throughout you know like you're in a situation that's traumatic and you can't get out of it so you keep re-experiencing and that's i that's remember from that happens to people with racism i remember i'll tell you another thing i remember no there's so much i remember it being so bad on re during recess that i would unlock the latch of the window Mm -hmm. next to a window air conditioner and I would crack it open during recess and shimmy myself into the classroom back inside back in the classroom as a first grader wow and I would hide yeah inside the school so that I would not so you'd be safe 
So I would be safe. Or safer, I mean. Yeah. So I learned how to do all kinds of stuff. Put gum in the, uh, or, or, or what is it, paper towels in the, uh, in the door, within the door jam so that the doors wouldn't lock so that I could get in. I mean, I would do, th- this mm-hmm. is a first grader trying to think about ways of survival. Yeah. You know? Okay, if I dwelled on all that shit, and we're just mm-hmm. talking, that's just early parts of right. elementary school. Right, you've got school. lots I've more got than that. I've got lots more than that. Yeah. Uh, if I did that, I, I could not go anywhere. The things, the bad things that have happened to me have made me a mm-hmm. stronger person, have made me a stronger father, a stronger husband, have allowed, have, have allowed me to push on and push through. So what I would argue to that okay. is not that you're a better father, husband, friend, all of those things because of the bad things that happened to you, but because of the relationships that helped you heal from those things. That getting better and healing helps you be all of these things because, and here's why. That's the right way. If, if yes, in an ideal world, you're right. probably right. That's that's what should have happened to me. But maybe because I haven't dealt with those issues and I've glossed them over, I've glossed over it, it has, I have not dealt with it the right way and maybe um, the things that you speak of, the, re- ex- the relationships and trusting people mm-hmm. and all that other stuff have not happened. Maybe you've got more healing to do. And that... Oh, definitely. But I don't, I, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do those things. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Maybe I, I've said that to myself that, you know what? It's not your time. You, you've got, you've got a lot to accomplish. You cannot dwell on all the negative things that have happened to you because you've got things to do. Well, and I, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting dwelling on them. No. And there's, um, you know, I'm not sure that. That that's a great idea, in fact. Oh, but, I don't think it is. But, um, I sound but, crazy. Right. <laughs> being able to see them and being able to name that it's shitty, you know, like to see this and say, that I should not have had to go through that. And with trauma, one of the things that happens is that you look at the trauma and mm-hmm. you, you recognize what you did to survive and what sort of patterns you put into your mind in order to survive. Like... Some people dissociate. Some people become overly outgoing to cover up any anxiety they might have. Well, honestly, I haven't thought about the story. Not until you just asked me, how was I tra- how how was I how was I treated at home? Not until you asked me that, have I thought about that story? Have I told anyone about that story? Mm-hmm. And that actually, we just had a, a board meeting here right before mm-hmm. our conversation. And we were talking about RCT and we were talking about the conversations that are happening here in town and what a hard time we're having hearing each other. You know, finding this balance between speaking truth and confronting evil, you know, and losing patience with people who are completely oblivious to what's going on around them so that we we want to call people into this and also making it so there's room to change making it so that 
we're not painting people into a corner in our first conversation with them by calling them a Nazi. And I want to be clear that I'm not, because I'm nervous saying this. And no, I want say to be, it. I want to be clear that I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to tone police marginalized people because I actually think there's there's nothing owed there. Like you don't owe white people an explanation or a comfort level or room to grow for that matter. But I do think that among people trying to wake up here that that we do owe each other some amount of patience and handholding. We all don't quite know what the solution is, mm -hmm. but we want change. I think that's okay to... I don't think we're all going to get what we want, but I love the fact that everybody is trying to say this isn't right. So yeah, yeah if you yeah. feel like boycotting... I. I go to, the, I'm going to be an ambassador again tomorrow. I'm not only just there just to make sure people feel welcome, but I'm also casing out those fucking Nazis. I'm just going to be honest with <laughs> yes, you. Yes, I know there are dual purposes. You understand purposes. what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. They're not going to put, they're, no. I've been bullied too long. I was bullied as a child. That's never going to happen to me again, and I don't ever want that to happen to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Some of us have to bully the bully. All right. So Sorry, we, don't leave the yeah. Right, no, and I want to come back to what you were just saying, though, about that we all have these different ways and that they're all valid when we're fighting fascism. Like that, that boycotting the market, completely going to the alternative market, coming to our market and pointing out that Schooner Creek Farm is bad. Bad. But there's other people that are bad, too. Right, there are, but we're just focusing on, on the dues-paying white supremacists. Okay, I right guess, now. and I think that's... I think that's kind of, it's it's deeper than that. And I think we need to understand that. Right. And I think that's what I was trying to get at, is that I think we have movement and growth that we have to do as a community. And to me, that's the end goal. And I will acknowledge that I have a lot of privilege in saying this. I can decide not to go to the farmer's market because my living doesn't depend on it. I can decide not to worry about racism because my kids aren't going to be hurt by it. But I don't actually believe that. I believe that everybody's hurt by it. But I can step back and not everybody can in saying that. And one of the things that's happening as far as safety goes that happened this morning I saw is that the white supremacists are starting to dox some of the protesters. Oh, it's, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, they're putting, like, their, their work phone number oh, and been, their place of employment out there. They've been doing that. They did, yeah. that the, they did that immediately. They put they put their information in a national, that national newsletter, I, the Vanguard. They, they made it seem like it was an article, but it was a piece to go ahead and put the people's names. They were, Yeah, it was a dog whistle. It was a... Ugh. You know, you could be the whitest person out there and you think this doesn't affect you, that the Nazis don't affect you in the way that they think and their followers think don't affect you. But you may end up having a queer child mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, or a queer grandchild that you don't know about or a 
African-American or, or Latino, a person of color as a, a grandchild or it is coming to your doorstep and you don't know it. Right. Thinking that you don't have to be anti-racist is definitely short-sighted. Very like, short-sighted. And yeah. one day your grand, that, that little grandchild, that bronze-complected grandchild that you have is going to climb up on your lap and say, what did you do about the Nazis that were at the, at the farmer's market? Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's going to really suck for you. That's beautiful. I mean, that it really might. Yeah. So we're talking about like the trauma of of racism and I think that the trauma of that high level of stress constantly of being a of being a target being part of a targeted population a mutual friend of ours was talking about being uh an ambassador and being black and being the only black ambassador at that particular time slot at the farmers market and said they called themselves the designated target oh nice right (laughs) and that was like to think of carrying that amount and i know that you could make it like a joke but then like when i ask will your kid be there it becomes more serious it does for me too like would i allow my kids to go there i don't want them to right now Mm -hmm. it scares me it's it's a lot easier to see the farmers to me at least it's easier to see the farmers market as racist it's easy to sort of forget that the main target of white supremacists for decades has also been jewish, jewish people population yeah yes. in fact that there was that comment about that referencing the ovens i haven't seen in that the, yet. where someone said sarah die is the friendly face and then boom we slam the oven door that's terrible. Right. Part of healing from trauma. That's terrible. Yeah. Right. So imagine hearing that and having ancestors that were in the concentration camps in World War II. It's awful. It's terrible. And our country is experiencing these too. You think of the massacres that have happened that's why you, you know how you're saying you can sit there and listen mm-hmm. somebody's got to shut this shit down i mean there's got to be there, there's right and it's not the job of the designated targets to do that no it, 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 it is too yes i think you're right though we need we need you need more advocacy that that just isn't. We thought there are so many people that thought it was all over after '68 and everything that that happened then that we were a uh, utopian on our way to utopian society, and it's like a whole generation of folks stopped fighting for the civil rights of others. Mm-hmm. And back then we were doing it together: Jewish folks, black folks, white folks old folks, students, all doing it together. And we stopped. Because of all this, it's it's a it's a wake up call. A, a lot of people felt it, felt that it hadn't gone away. 
Right, I think there are people for whom this is not a surprise that there's oh, yeah, still racism like, in I America. Think that's, that, I mean, that I think that's I'm talking to other black people, and we're like surprised. We're like, no, you I, are you kidding me? Racist farmers? Like, what? I mean, like, come on. Right. So, but I guess what I'm trying to say about whose job it is, is that part of healing from trauma is listening to getting in touch with your own experience and listening to it and being able and knowing that there are different ways of working and different ways of being with trauma and that when you're dealing with your trauma, the responsible thing to do if you have the safety to do this is to let your system reset to, to find safe places to be and to not be overly exposed to dangerous hate. I mean, that, that would be great, but how does, how does one do that when that's their daily life? Well, I'm not, are you saying, as a white person or a person that is in constant trauma on a daily basis, they're going to school. They're, I mean, what, what, which one are you talking about? People who are targets in this need to be held or to hold each other in a safe place to process this. And part of it is seeing when it happens, like noticing the things that happen in your body when you have a trauma response. Mm-hmm. And being able to care for that. But you know what? For so long, marginalized people have not been able to talk. Yeah. And scream. And say how they feel. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's not, maybe it's a time for them to speak the truth and say what they feel. You know, it, it maybe true peace can only happen after after everyone gets to sit gets to go ahead and say something i mean if you think about it no one has talked about the farmers how they felt about the farmers market for 20 something years yeah and now they are and maybe it's uncomfortable mhm but maybe it's maybe it's time I agree, but I'm, I'm not sure that saying that to part of my job as an ally is to make space for that yelling and to make space for that processing and to not get in the way of it. But also when when people need a break to step up and fill that gap, too. I understand what you're saying, because that, that there, there are there are some people that need to. They're in the forefront of this and they feel alone. I get their text messages or they're they're saying, did I handle this right? Did you see what such and such said about me? And I'm like, you're doing a good job. You you got people behind you. This is the work. Mm -hmm. And you're doing a wonderful job. But ask for help. Maybe this week you take off. And ask someone to help you. Right. That's that's where I'm so trying to go. So that's where you're trying to go. Yes. Okay, okay. That's I thought you were I'm talking about the movement. No, 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 no. I'm talking about... Individuals. Individuals that need... And someone I've talked to here in Bloomington was talking about the difficulty of being Jewish in the middle of all this because you're not necessarily recognized as the target. 
Oh, I recognize right? them, but th- I know the you thing do, is, is you that don't even know who's Jewish. Exactly, like, right? you really don't, because it's a religion. So there's some people that feel like their needs aren't even being seen. So, so I've I've seen that where they've said, you'll say person of color, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm saying a person of color, or a, a marginalized person. Uh, that that include Jewish people that includes you. I want you to know that we're not. No one is taking that out. You are definitely under that person of color tent. We're talking about <laughs> we're we're talking about people who have been victimized. Yes. By neo Nazis or 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 white supremacists, or are carrying that trauma in their bodies from generations past as well. I Absolutely. mean that's we know that's how I mean, it but works. Yeah, it, it's it's. It's the same. It's the same thing. Even if you're not, if even if I didn't experience slavery personally, you carry it. it. I carry it absolutely. Yeah. And maybe maybe we need to say that more often because I I've had some friends that that have said that, and we probably are talking about the same friends or friends. Possibly we and, have some and, overlap. Yeah, we have a lot of overlap, and and I wanted to tell them, you know, it it's. It's you too. You get the hug too. We we know that if someone comes to town, your place of worship is going to be one of the first places that's going to be hit. Yeah. You know yes. they and they and if and if they could put a if they could put a star of David on you like they've done before and make you a target so that they would know, they would. Yeah. It, we're all in this. We're all in this together. It's okay to take turns doing the out front work and to take breaks when you need breaks and to listen to your own limits and know like what works for you. I know there are people who don't feel comfortable being like approaching people at the farmer's market to tell them to hand them a flyer or to tell them about the Nazis. And those people might bring cookies to the protesters or awesome. Right. Or do some writing to newspapers in the background or just talk to their friends about it. You know, there's there's different things that people do. There's different things that people do and there are some people who are used to being at the on the forefront. A lot of older folks. They need to stop and and, and, and a lot of this movement, a lot of the people that have taken the charge on this have been younger people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for some of us to say, hey, you're doing it differently, but you're doing it, and I like that you're doing it, and these are the future leaders. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These are the yeah. future leaders. That they're different ways, and that's okay. That that we definitely want to um, oppose fascism, right? Yeah. No matter, yeah. that's so what we're trying to do. Bring cookies, support these people. Yeah, this is this has got to be you support these younger folks. I mean, or, or pass it, pass, you know, even if you're 80 years old, pass out some damn flyers with the 20 year olds. Why yeah. not? This should be a multi generational. That's not what you do. And what you do is you talk to people but or support, you write letters or you, but, you, yeah. or you send them a check. Or, or you send them, them a cash, check, give them button, give them money for buttons. Yeah. Or money like a lot of people organizing this protest that that's like a full-time job it, send it them 20 has, bucks it has been a full-time job for those folks yeah and they also need to know and i don't think enough of them because they they get they get they get their fair share of people hating 
but they are doing a lot of the work that I think the city wishes they could do. I think so too. And and so they too. don't understand that that the city is, I think is from all from what I know, the city is behind them. As I I worked as a as an ambassador this last week, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed being right there next to the same people that are that that are passing out the the mm-hmm. no space for hate issue yeah. you know stuff it, it, it you know they were passing out a, another group passed out uh balloons um uh the billmans uh, yeah they they passed out they, Those they were beautiful they got they they uh they didn't do their stand their um their, their they didn't make money they just they just gave, passed out these they tried balloons to spread some love, spread love. Yeah. it was it was damn it it was wonderful Mm-hmm. more of that and if you can't do that just support them and don't there's so many people that can sit there and judge right mm-hmm. but not do anything I hate that if you're not if you don't have anything to bring besides judgment don't do it at all especially when it's something that is is move, that that is trying to move Bloomington in a more positive direction. We yeah. all can, we all can do things differently. Right? Yeah. So our summit is getting closer and closer. The all access pass and you can find it on Eventbrite if you look for learning together or it's on Facebook or it's all it's all around. I think you could find it. Okay. And on that Thursday, the first day, it starts at 4. And there's an RCT refresher course. So if you've never learned about RCT before and you just want to dip your toes in, that's a perfect time to come if you've done it, but you just want to get a more solid grip on it Mm -hmm. because sometimes it takes a few repetitions for it to stick. That's a great time to come. And then we've got... What what does RCT stand for? Because I'm just thinking radio, uh, cars, and trucks, but (laughs) it's something else. Relational. Okay. Cultural theory. The relational is that is that people grow through and toward relationships and that rather than this idea that we want to be super independent beings, mm-hmm. to know that what we want ultimately is to be capable of complex relationships and that those relationships help us heal. Okay. And help us make a better world. And the cultural is in part looking at the barriers that stop us from being able to grow and heal through our relationships you know the racism and inequities and nazis at the farmer's market and all of these things Mm -hmm. and so that's relational cultural theory is is what the rct stands for okay the exciting stuff on saturday afternoon is that dr lashawn williams is coming back to town she was here last year Mm -hmm. and um we're partnering with the city of bloomington to offer uh workshop on how what do we mean by community LaShawn is amazing and I can't wait for that event and then you may not know this I don't I don't think you know this on Sunday 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 Sunday, Sunday is our live record a live recording of my racist friend it's a podcast who's who's doing that you what yeah it's gonna be awesome you're gonna love it what on stage well how's that working and well you're gonna help me find someone who wants to host it at a nice little restaurant or something oh my god and we're gonna have lunch 
and we're going to talk about our podcast. And uh, can people ask questions? People can ask questions. Okay. And and maybe like Dr. Williams will be interested in sitting in on our. Okay. Okay. Who knows what might happen? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Is there a dance? No, there's no dance, but there's an unconference after that. So where okay. we like get to sort of process what's happened. Okay. Okay. Make our goals for later. Very cool. Yeah. It's going to be a really fun weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Wow. I'm looking forward to it. And now you are too, too, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you next week. Then. See you next week. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKees, LCSW, was recorded on Friday, August 23, 2019, and edited for this podcast by Kevin McKees. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Join the BCC on September 19th through the 22nd for the second annual Relational Summit, Learning Together, hosted here in Bloomington, Indiana. For more details, follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. I thought you'd gone. I thought so, too. Get to Walter Burns, quick. Walter. Walter, listen. I've got the whole story on how Williams got that gun and escaped, and I got it exclusive. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and it's a pip. <laughs> it seems this expert, Dr. Egelhofer, the profound thinker from New York, was giving Williams a final sanity test in the sheriff's office. You know, sticking a lot of pins in him so that he could get his reflexes. Well, he decided to reenact the crime exactly as it had taken place in order to study Williams's powers of coordination. Well, I'm coming to it. Of course, he had to have a gun to reenact the crime with, and who do you suppose supplied it? Peter B. Hartwell. B for brains. Well, the sheriff gave his gun to the professor, and the professor gave it to Earl, and Earl shot the professor right in the classified ad. No ads. <laughs> Ain't it perfect?